Hello, welcome to Workplace Wake Up. I'm Jen Shaw. Every week, I spend about 15 minutes covering legal developments, introducing you to interesting guests, and providing some entertainment to start your workday. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our last podcast this month on investigations. And today, we're going to talk about the investigation report. How do you write it? What do you do with it? Who gets a copy of it? Where does it go when the investigation is done? So if you've joined us for our other episodes this month, you know that we've looked at the investigation process from a lot of different angles. We've talked about the trends in investigations. We've looked at whether you should use an internal investigator or an external investigator. We've talked about confidentiality and its importance in investigations for everyone involved in the process. And today we really need to look at that report. Now, the first thing that I want to remind you about is that your investigation is only as good as your report. And let me tell you what I mean by that. You can do an excellent investigation. You interview the right people. You review the right documents. You have a very thoughtful analysis of how you reached your factual findings. But you didn't write it in a way that is comprehensible. So the people who are reading the report don't understand what a great investigation you did. So in my experience doing this for as long as I have, the problem really comes when folks are rushing, right? They're busy. They've got a lot on their plate. They were assigned this investigation to do in addition to their regular duties. And the report feels like almost an afterthought. I've already done the investigation. I've already talked to the people who I needed to talk to. I've already reviewed my documents. So why is the report that important anyway? Let's just knock something out and get it done. The only thing that is permanent is your report, right? Now you might have a tape recording of an interview. You may have some notes you took, but when you look at your actual findings, what you actually found as a result of the investigation, The only thing you have is your report. So I've been given investigation reports that were written on Southwest Airlines cocktail napkins, complete with pretzel, salt, and cream from the coffee, okay? I've been told investigation reports aren't that important. Couldn't I just do a verbal report? Well, the truth is many of our clients these days are asking us to do verbal reports, oral reports, because they don't want to have this written document that might be subject to discovery. So in a lawsuit, for example, somebody might say, look, I need that report. You're saying you did a thorough investigation. I need that report. There are a number of legal issues that come up, of course, in terms of whether you need to produce a copy of the report. If so, what information to redact or cross out? What about a Public Records Act request? What about a Freedom of Information Act request? There's a lot of legal issues that come up here. But generally, what I want to focus on here today is how you write that report. The report doesn't have to be fancy. So a lot of people will say to me, well, my reports are always at least 50 pages. Like, that's something good. And I say, really? It took you 50 pages? Like, for most investigations, you should be able to wrap this thing up in a much more tidy manner, right? You don't need 50 pages. If you're anything like me, you figured out that Writing concisely, writing in a focused way is a heck of a lot more difficult than just 
throwing up on the page, right? So you may start with 50 pages. I do that a lot where I get all my thoughts out there and I just type like a mad woman. And then I hone it in and I think about, okay, what am I doing? How am I trying to assess this situation? What was my goal in the first place? What are my allegations? Am I reaching findings on those allegations? So I agree that it can be helpful to get everything on paper, but then you've got to narrow it down and you've got to figure out, all right, what am I going to put in that report? Type your report. There's no excuse for a handwritten report. It must be typed. And as long as you're going to type it, use spell check because spell check is a great tool that we have. I'm sometimes given reports to review and there are typographical errors all over them. And I'm thinking, all you had to do was hit spell check, right? Let's take some pride in our work. Let's make sure that we're doing the best we can. By the way, it doesn't mean it will be perfect. All it means is you've done your best to make it so. We are not infallible, okay? So there, there will be errors. It will happen. And it always makes me sick. I mean, I want to throw up when I see a report and I've, I've agonized over it for hours. And then right there in footnote four is a giant typo. And I'm thinking, how did I miss that? How many times did I look at it? How many times did my legal assistant look at it? Darn it. It just drives me crazy. So I'm not saying it's going to be a perfect product, but I want you to own the investigation report just the way you own the investigation. It matters. That is your work product with your name on it. Now, let's say you write the report. What do you do with it? Well, if you're an external investigator, you give the report to your client, right? Who's your client? Well, you better know that, right? Is the client the HR director? Is the client the board of directors? I had that issue come up recently. Who do I give the report to? And the organization wasn't even clear. They had to get another law firm to help them figure that out, all right? So you have to know who your client is. If you're an internal investigator, you're going to follow your processes. So if somebody comes to you and says, hey, Jen, you know, I'd like to see that report you did on the Smith matter. I think I have a similar issue and I'd like to read it. That may not be appropriate, right? You have to think about whether you should even be sharing it internally with someone else in human resources. Now, I will tell you something funny. A lot of HR folks and folks in equal employment opportunity offices um, in state agencies, for example, will tell their in-house legal counsel, oh, you can't look at this report. This is confidential. Not a good idea. Your in-house legal counsel is entitled to see that report. Unless, of course, there's a subject, they're the respondent of the report. Then we're in a different universe, okay? But certainly you're going to share it with your legal team, whether that's an internal legal team or an external legal team, if you have questions. Many investigations, of course, are relatively simple. They don't relate to complex issues. It's a relatively brief report, and you don't need to get legal counsel on it. But if you do, or the, the lawyers want to see it for some reason, you shouldn't withhold the report, okay? Particularly if those are in-house attorneys. But who else gets a copy of the report? Generally, no one. Now, if you're in the public sector and you're going to take disciplinary action against someone based on your findings in the report, that report is going to have to be provided as evidence to back up the adverse action or the corrective action that you're taking. Now, some in-house lawyers will say, well, maybe I can just do an executive summary. I can provide that to the employee who's being disciplined. The rule is really 
whatever the decision maker relied on to decide what corrective action to take, that information has to be provided to the employee when we're talking about public sector. So if you want to go the executive summary route, then you should be giving the decision maker not the full report, but the executive summary. Because once you give them the full report, you can't undo that. They have received that report. So now that report with appropriate redactions, cross outs, right? The big black marker, if you need to do that, okay? So you wanna think about who really is entitled to this report. And the law has changed recently in terms of what access public sector employees have to information about them, how Public Records Act requests are interpreted. So the California Office of the Attorney General advises state agencies on these issues and they'll work with you on Public Records Act requests and the like. They have a lot of great lawyers in that agency and they, and they can really help out. If you're in the private sector, you're in a little bit of a different situation because you can discipline someone without giving them a copy of the report, right? That report is something you can sort of keep in your back pocket. But if there's litigation and you want to say, look, there was a complaint and I did an investigation and I took corrective action, so I shouldn't have any liability here. Well, the first thing the other side's going to ask you for is a copy of the report. So you're going to have to think about how you want to deal with that. One thing to know is that if you hire an external investigator, the notes that they take of their interviews, those are attorney work product. Those, they do not have to waive that privilege, that work product privilege. So even though you may call them and say, I need all your documents that you uh, received during the investigation, they may tell you, well, I've given you the report, I've given you as exhibits every document I received during the investigation. I don't have anything else to give you. They're not going to give you their notes. Most of the time, we never give our notes. The notes are our work product. It's our mental process. I'm not a stenographer. I'm not just writing down what the person told me. I'm choosing what's important, how I'm going to say it, what I'm going to put in quotation marks. So all of that information, if you're dealing with an external lawyer, is privileged. Now, of course, if the investigator you've retained is a private investigator, remember, it won't work to retain an, a human resources consultant, unfortunately, because of the business and professions code here in California. That's not fair, but unfortunately, it is what it is. But if you retain that private investigator, there is no privilege, right? So the benefit, I guess, of, of having counsel in appropriate situations is, a lot of that information will be privileged. And that's important when you're dealing with a situation where as the employer, you're just trying to do the right thing, right? You're trying to take the information you learned as a result of the investigation and apply it in a way that will help solve that problem. Remember, that's what we've talked about in all of these episodes about investigations is the fact that the investigation is really intended to help solve a problem. It is a means to an end. So that report is a very important document. You want to make sure that you have the correct information. I will generally send the report as a draft to my contact, but I don't hide the fact that it's a draft, right? I put draft on a watermark, and if I make changes, then it's, I save it so that they can see what changes I made, right? I, I wanna make sure that I'm very transparent. I've been deposed about investigations. 
where I'm very clear. This is how I wrote the report. This is what I did with the report. This is the back and forth I had with the client about the report. Because remember, the client holds the attorney-client privilege, not the investigator. The investigator holds the work product privilege, the notes, right, the thought processes, but not the actual communications. So if my client says, Jen, I want you to, to you know, I'm waiving the privilege and you're going to be a witness in this trial or this administrative hearing, or you're going to have your deposition taken, then that means I say everything I know with respect to that investigation other than my work product. So everyone, confidentiality, whether you use an internal investigator or an external investigator, how you evaluate the trends in investigations and identify them in your organization. And finally, what you do with the investigation report. These are all really important issues that we've talked about during these last few podcasts. I hope you've all enjoyed them. Remember, doing investigations is an honor. It's a privilege. You have a lot of responsibility when you do them. So I want you to own the entire process from the first intake interview you do right through that investigation report and any follow-up that you're involved in. Thank you all for joining us here today. Be well and remember to send me ideas if you have topics you'd like me to discuss. I'll see you all again soon. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to spread the word, please share it with others, post about it on social media, and or rate and review it. Of course, you can also follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, and email us at info at shawlawgroup.com. Workplace Wake Up, including its guests and hosts, do not provide legal advice in this podcast. Do not act upon any of the information discussed in this podcast without consulting a licensed attorney in your jurisdiction.